0: Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day, this worship that we just got the chance to experience. I ask you now, Father, that you would bless us wherever we are, whether at our home, a friend's house, right here in Pennsylvania or across the globe. I ask you, Father, for the power of your Holy Spirit to draw us to one another as we learn together, we draw close to you, we look at your word and what it teaches us about how you want us to live. We pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen. Hello and welcome to New Life. My name is Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life, and we want to say thank you for joining us. I know that you're joining us online this weekend, and that is just really incredible. You gave us a portion of your weekend. And by the way, you didn't have to do that. But instead, you have set aside time to tune in with us and be part of our church family. And we wanna let you know that you are part of our church family. No matter where you are in the world right now, and no matter what life is like for you right now, you're part of our church family. We love you, and we are so thankful that you're here to join us today. We're actually closing out the first of a year, first series in a year-long emphasis about second chances and about New beginnings. And I know in life right now, many of us, we frankly need a fresh start. I have needed a lot of fresh starts. If you look at 2020, we'd have everything from killer bees coming across the ocean to coin shortages, pandemics, uh, violence, riots. Pretty much we've had all of it. And a lot of times I think we've woken up in the morning and we just simply needed a fresh start, whether that's because the day before was full of anxiety or it was full of frustrations or if it was just full of problems, oftentimes we've needed a fresh start. I know many times throughout COVID-19, I have also needed a fresh start. Let me give you a really, really small example. So I have had this tendency to sort of fall off the boat when it comes to going to sleep early so that I'm able to wake up early. My regular nighttime routine has consisted of staying up until midnight since about March, which is too late for a person with two little girls that start our day between 5.30 and 6 a.m. a lot of times. But the other night, I was hanging out with some friends online, and we were chatting, and about midnight, I jumped off, and I went upstairs to let the dog out, and I suddenly realized that I was hungry. Now, most of us know that if you eat at midnight and go directly to bed, it's really good for you. It helps you lose weight, because if you eat all the food and then lay down horizontal, your body learns to process that food and turn it into muscle, right? Wrong, of course that's not what happens. I know it's unhealthy for me. I thought about it for a moment and I thought I shouldn't have something to eat and then I made and ate a bowl of mini-wheats and then I was off to bed. Now listen, I know that's not healthy for me. The next day I needed a fresh start. I needed kind of a bit of a do-over when it came to my physical health. I needed to make a better choice the following night. I know that I can't do the same things in my 30s that I was able to get away with in my 20s, but sometimes we simply don't make the best choices. In this series that we have been in about the promised land is all about a man named Joshua. And Joshua was leading an entire nation to a fresh start. He was leading them to a land that God had promised to give them hundreds of years beforehand. He was leading a nation of ex-slaves through the wilderness and into a new land, a land that, by the way, was occupied by a multitude of city-states, armies, walled fortresses, and other peoples. He was leading them to God's new promised land. The reality is the Israelites needed a fresh start. They had been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and Joshua was the person that was selected to lead them in to a brand new start. But before we get into that, I wanna take a look at today's take-home point. The take-home point's the one point I'm gonna seek to make so that we can take it home and live it out in the week ahead. This week's take-home point is this. You get to pick who you will serve, but we all will serve. We get to pick who we will serve, but we all will serve. Now, to really understand the story of Joshua, we need to understand the much larger story that God was telling through Joshua's life, because God is an epic storyteller. And yes, Joshua played a prominent role in this epic narrative that was going on, but Joshua only played one part, one chapter in a multi-piece epic novel that God had been writing for hundreds of years. Now Joshua plays in a really climactic role, and it's really kind of at the end of one of the major segments of God's overarching narrative that he's speaking throughout all of scripture and all of mankind. But once again, it is only one portion. To understand a bigger chunk of it, we have to first understand a little bit about a man named Abraham. Abraham was raised on the other side of the Euphrates River. He was a tribal chief who led around a nomadic group of people that were made up of family members and servants or slaves. He and his father worshipped foreign gods on the other side of the, on the side of the Mediterranean Sea that were likely gods that involved the earth and the sky, things that they could see and tangible. Uh, tangible, tangible pieces of their lives. He lived in a time before nations, before empires, and before large armies. And when he lived, God was largely silent. Abraham was little more than a pagan nomad who was scraping out a living for he and his family on the southeastern corner of the Mediterranean C. God had not spoken to or interacted with human beings, at least according to scripture, for 10 generations or 288 years since he had interacted with Noah after the great flood. But then God spoke to Abraham. God called Abraham to follow God and God alone. Now, this is really unique because Abraham was not a monotheistic, one-god person. He was a polytheistic, a multi-god person. He served many gods, but a god came and spoke to him and said to serve this god and this god alone. Abraham was faithful, and God made a covenant with him that he would take his descendants and he would turn them into a great nation as vast as the sand on the seashore which he may have been familiar with from visiting the Mediterranean Sea. For a while, Abraham's sent descendants sought to serve the Lord. For three generations, his sons, his grandsons, his great-grandsons, sought and served one God and one God alone. And then during a significant famine in the land of Canaan, the land that God had promised Abraham his descendants would one day possess as the promised land where he lived as a foreigner amongst foreign people, there was a great famine. And the remaining Hebrews, the members of Abraham's descendants, moved their families to Egypt to a land called Goshen. And in Goshen, the Hebrews populated and grew in magnificent ways. God used Egypt as an incubator to grow his chosen people, not just from one family, but in to an entire nation, as Abraham's descendants began to grow, the Egyptians became nervous about what they might become. Looking at the Egyptians, look, looking the Egyptians looking at the Hebrews living in the land of Goshen, said to themselves, "What if our enemies attack us, and these Hebrews decide to side with our enemies? They could overthrow our nation." And so they enslaved the people, and for four hundred and thirty years. For 430 years, the Hebrews served the Egyptians as slaves. Now, during these 430 years, the Hebrew people forgot about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They forgot about the God of their ancestors. Many of them began learning to worship the Egyptian pantheon, the various gods in Egypt, and the God-king, Pharaoh, They adopted pagan worship practices, and by and large, they forgot about who God was. And we know that because of a man named Moses. Eventually, the Egyptian slavery became so overbearing that the Hebrews cried out in anguish, and God, who had chosen them, heard them and interceded. He sent a man named Moses to be their deliverer. Many of us are familiar with the man Moses He was a Hebrew who was raised as an Egyptian prince. He wandered in the wilderness and was a shepherd for 40 years after murdering murdering an Egyptian taskmaster. And then he returned to Egypt to free the Hebrews and bring them to the promised land. He was God's chosen deliverer. But what many of us miss is around the same time that Moses' story starts, shortly thereafter, Joshua's story is intertwined because Joshua is born as an Egyptian slave or as a Hebrew slave to the Egyptians. He's born in tough, crude, and awful bondage, serving his Egyptian slave masters. Joshua is born a slave and will likely, as far as he knows, like his ancestors that came before him, he will also die a slave. We have no clue exactly what Joshua believed when he was raised as a slave in Egypt, but it's very likely that we can assume that Joshua's religious practices and spiritual identity involved the Egyptian gods and goddesses to some extent. Because once again, God's chosen people, when they were a monotheistic people, meaning they served one God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, now that they've lived in Egypt for 400 plus years, they had began recognizing and even worshiping more than just one singular God. And we actually know that because of the passage that we're eventually going to read today. However, Joshua's life radically changes whenever Moses appears on the scene. The deliverer of God's people comes back to Egypt and he declares to Pharaoh that he must let his people go free so that they would be able to go worship him in the desert with all of their families and all of their herds. Many of us who are familiar with Bible stories know that Pharaoh refused and wouldn't allow them to go. And then 10 plagues ensued Ten terrible plagues started happening all over the land of Egypt. But the question that was being asked by the Hebrews was this. Can we trust this God? Can we really trust this God? In fact, whenever Moses came to them, they didn't even know who he was. They had forgotten about him. They said, who is the name of this God of our ancestors that you've come? And Moses says, the name of this God that has chosen you and will free you from bondage, his name is... I am. Why do the Hebrews need to know his name? Because to the Hebrews, this new God in whose name Moses came was simply one God among many gods. This new God who who Moses came in the name of was simply one God among many gods. The question was not whether or not this was the only God. The question was for the Hebrews, how powerful was this God was he really powerful enough to do everything that Moses said he was going to do? Was he powerful enough not only to free the Hebrew people from the clutches and the hands of Pharaoh and their Egyptian slave owners, G- Egyptian slave masters, but was he also powerful enough to free them from the Egyptian pantheon, the Egyptian gods? And shortly, God would display to them that they indeed could trust him, not only to free them and protect them from Pharaoh, but also. He was more powerful and had dominion over the Egyptian gods that many of them had come to revere, and I'm sure some of them had come to serve. Through the plagues, God sends a clear message about the Egyptian gods. You see, Happy was the Egyptian god of the Nile, but I am turned the Nile to blood. Hackett was the Egyptian goddess of fertility. She was represented by a frog, and I am sent a plague of frogs out of the Nile that would cover the land of Egypt a plague that only Moses could get rid of. Geb was the Egyptian god of earth, and Moses would strike the earth, and out of the dust of the earth, I am would raise a plague of gnats that would cover all of Egypt. Ra was the Egyptian god of the sun, and God, I am, would darken the sun for three days. days—a Darkness, that the Bible tells us, could be felt, and that darkness was felt everywhere in Egypt except in the land of Goshen, the land of the Hebrews. Each plague showed the Hebrew people that they could trust I am. Trust. That's one of my key words for today. Each plague showed the Hebrew people they could trust the great I am. This God could protect them from not only Pharaoh, but also Egyptian gods and goddesses. And Joshua lived through it all. He grew up a slave. He saw the plagues. And he left Egypt bearing the gold and the treasures of the Egyptians under the protection of I Am and the leadership of Moses. But what makes Joshua stand out amongst all of the other slaves that left Egypt? What makes him different is that he never forgot what I Am had done, and he believed in what this God, this I Am, could do. So when the Hebrew people arrived at the land that God had promised their ancestor Abraham, they sent spies, We heard about this a couple of weeks ago in Pastor Chris's message. The spies went into the land and Joshua went with his friend Caleb and they spied out the land. Each spy came back and told of a land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that was good and prosperous, a land that would be good for their people. But all of the spies, except for Joshua and Caleb, said they couldn't take the land because the land was full of giants. They said the Hebrews couldn't possibly conquer the land. The Hebrew people still had one question, can we trust I am? They could not have forgotten what I am had done for them to bring them out of Egypt. In their recent memory was the pillar of fire behind them, the pillar of smoke, the splitting of the Red Sea, the 10 plagues, the destruction of the Egyptian army. The Hebrews knew that their God was more powerful than the Egyptian gods, but was their God more powerful than the Canaanite gods? For the Canaanite gods had turned their people into giants. Surely God was powerful enough to free them from slavery in Egypt, but he, could he turn a group of ex-slaves into an army capable of defeating giants inside of impenetrable cities? And the faith of the people faltered because they didn't know yet if they could truly trust I am So God sent them into the wilderness where they would die. The Exodus is all about a trust relationship between I am and the Hebrews. The Exodus is all about a trust relationship between I am and the Hebrews. See God displayed his power over and over again yet the pagan and pantheon worshipping Hebrews were unsure that they could trust him. So God raised up a new generation in the desert. Like any one of us would raise up an infant or a child, he fed them from his own hand. He provided manna from heaven. He gave them water to drink. He made it so their clothes would not wear out. For 40 years, God developed a new trust relationship with a new generation. All the while, saying and whispering the same thing to them. You indeed can trust me. For 40 years, I am built a trust relationship with this new generation. Eventually, only Caleb and Joshua would enter in to this new land from the previous generation. And during the 40 years in the wilderness, Joshua walked and led with Moses. He spoke with Moses, and Moses spoke with God, and he taught Joshua how to do the same. He taught Joshua to trust the great I am. And then Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote much and penned much of the first five books of the Bible. Why? To tell the Hebrews what I am was like, what I am had done, and what I am required of them. This new generation in the wilderness learned that they could indeed trust the great I am, if they were willing to serve him and be obedient. So then Joshua took over. He was no longer a leader. He was the leader. And he led the people into a new land, into a promised land. But their first task would indeed be monumental. Joshua led them straight to their new home, straight to the walls of Jericho. And the trust in I am was put to the test for the Hebrew people. Could they really trust I am to deliver this land into their hands? And so God took Jericho on his own to show to his chosen people they could indeed trust him. Without a siege, without an army, and without casualties, the walls of Jericho tumbled and the city burnt. And the Hebrew people looked upon the ruins of the city of Jericho and they knew that they could trust I am to deliver the new land into their hands. And so they went to battle with all of the kings of the promised land and drove them out. And after much of the land had been conquered and God had fulfilled his promise to Abraham, Joshua gathered the people and he spoke to them. And this is the last thing that we have from Joshua. Joshua. His last speech to the gathered people, the elders, the warriors, the ex-slaves, the new generation who had seen God work in mighty ways to conquer a land that they thought to be unconquerable. He says this to us in Joshua 24, starting in verse 11 and going to verse 24. Follow along with me. When you crossed the Jordan River, you came to Jericho. The men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Gigricites, Gigrahites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave you victory over them, and I sent terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. I gave you land and you did, that you did not work on. I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever, catch this, the forever the idols of your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Would you prefer the God your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose lands you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. The people replied, we would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our very eyes as we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies. See the trust coming out. He preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land See the trust, so we too will serve the Lord for he alone is our God. Then Joshua warned the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is holy and a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you even though he has been so good to you. But the people answered Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. You are a witness to your own decision, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied, We are witnesses to what we have said. All right, then, Joshua said, Destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and will obey him alone. Even now, some of God's people were still pagan. I Am had proved himself to his people time and time again. He had raised a generation as his own child, feeding them and nurturing them, taking care of them, protecting them, providing for them. For generations, I Am had done the impossible directly in view of the people. Yet still, some of the Hebrews worship the ancient gods that Abraham's father worshipped on the other side of the Euphrates, Some revered the Egyptian pantheon. Some had already began worshiping the gods of the Amorites in the land in which they now have taken, and some still kept idols. God had used Joshua to write an epic end to a piece of his overarching narrative. Through Joshua's life, I Am had shown his people that they could indeed trust him if they would obey him. But now, it was up to the people. Who would they serve moving forward? And the same question is asked of each of us. When we come to faith in Jesus, we're asked this, once we embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, who will we serve? Who will we trust? The ultimate display of God's trustworthiness to all of creation was the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, on our behalf. Will we remember what I am has done? Or will we return and serve the foreign gods of our culture, the gods that our fathers served? Will we put our trust in I am, or will we put our trust in political parties, which would be silly right now, Money, retirement funds, guns, comfort. Who or what will you serve? Will you serve the Lord or will you serve any number of louder, more easily controlled, more easily manipulated gods that our culture offers us? Ones that offer us instant gratification but give us no meaning and no purpose. What sits at the center of your heart? What sits on the throne of your life? Choose this day whom you will serve. We will serve. We all will serve. We have many great examples of those who chose to serve the Lord when they could have served many other things right here on the New Life staff. Pastor Brad and Sam celebrated their last weekend here with us at the end of August as they prepare to say yes to the Lord and serve him alone, as they move their family across the country to Colorado Springs to begin the Father's Heart Church. Pastor Chris and Nancy listened to the call of the Lord on their hearts 19 and a half years ago when they left the comfort and security of a pension and a growing church and started new life, not knowing if they would have much of anything. Many of our staff and many of you have sacrificed significantly To follow the Lord and to trust Him and Him alone. That's really the goal. But we never ever get there if we don't put everything on the table first. So I'm asking you today what are you holding back? What are you hiding under the table? What idols are you still worshiping? What things and foreign gods are you keeping hidden? If I said to you now, God can have everything in your life but blank, how would you finish the sentence? What's after the but in your life? What's after the but in your life? Following Jesus is largely about getting rid of the but. But we cannot get rid of the but until we surrender everything after the but. Joshua chose to serve the Lord. And as one of your pastors, I am blessed to serve you. But as for me and my home, we will serve the Lord. I can't make you do the same. I can't make you give up the gods of your ancestors. I can't make you give up the gods of your parents. You have to choose to worship God and not the gods that are offered in our culture. You have to surrender. 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 All the idols on the other side of butt in your life. I can't do that for you. You have to do it yourself. As God has spoken to my family over the last 10 years, we've had to offer up many things in order to serve and trust the Lord and the Lord alone. And that's truer for us today than it has ever been. We've surrendered family and friends, comfort, security, and many desires. We've not always gotten that right at first. first. In many days, I have spent worshiping at the altar of fun, relaxation, comfort, pleasure, things. However, we are learning to trust I am more and more every day as Joshua did. And at the end of my time serving, when the Lord decides to call us home, I hope and pray that my life will echo that me and my home We chose to serve the Lord. Today, you get the same choice as everybody else. You don't have to be a pastor to answer the question. You need no special theological training. You don't need anything. You're given the same choice as I am. And it's the only choice really that makes all the difference. We all will serve. Who will you serve? That's our next step this week. Our next step this week is choose this day who you will serve. While the culture offers a pantheon of options, a pluralistic view of God, you can serve any God at any time, any place that you want. And you may worship many gods and you may pay tribute at many different shrines. But when we come to I Am, we get the option to worship Him and Him alone or not at all. And you can't do that if you don't first know his son, Jesus. Partway through today's message, I mentioned that the biggest display, the greatest display of God's trustworthiness was the life and the death and then the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. There is no greater display for all of humanity that we can indeed trust the Lord than giving up freely his son on our behalf. For you to walk with God, for you to choose this day to serve him and to serve him alone, you first must be reconciled to him through his son. Here at New Life, we know that that's not easy, but in some ways it is simple. We say it's as simple as A, B, C. A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner and that you need a savior. B, believe. Believe in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. The scriptures teach us to believe in our heart and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And C, confess. Confess your sin. Confess it to him and confess him as Lord and Savior of your life. We believe that if you will follow these three simple things, it is a radical change to your life. Believe me, it's not easy. It means changing everything about your life for the rest of your life. It's not the end of a journey, it's only the beginning of a whole new life, a brand new rebirth. The scriptures and Jesus told us it was like being born again, but born in the spirit. But we firmly believe that if you will ask Jesus to come in to your life right now, that he will radically change your life. I'm gonna take a moment right now and pray as we close out service today. And if you want to ask Jesus to come into your life, you can take that moment to say yes, to admit, to believe, and to confess, all on your own, (laughs) wherever you are. You don't need to be here in the room with me. You can do it wherever you are. And if you do that today, as I'm closing in prayer, would you click the little raise my hand button in the chat? Would you just bump that with your finger? Would you let us know, because we want to connect with you and talk to you about all the things that God has for you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much. Lord, I praise you and thank you. I know that there are people all across the world right now who are tuned in, who are listening, some of which you've spoken to their hearts. There are some of us who have never chosen you, who've never trusted you, but they're looking back over their life and they're seeing your hand at work and they're saying, I want to trust you today. We pray, Father, that you would receive them into your eternal family as sons and daughters. And there are those of us right now who are online who know we have served many gods. We have paid tribute at many altars. We have worshiped at many shrines, but we have not been worshiping you. Help us, Father, because our heart's desire is to surrender all the things of this life and to pursue you and you alone. Father, many things in this world have disappointed us. Many things have let us down. And in the chaos of 2020, we are desperate for you. Help us, Father, to finally set aside everything else, to trust you and to serve you alone. Father, we will all serve. The question is, will we serve you? name we pray amen church family thank you for being here with us we love you so much and we're so thankful to have you here i hope you maybe raised a prayer concern in chat if you needed it i hope that you enjoyed service with us today if you can ever meet with us physically we hope you will soon we love you so much have a great week